May, when was the last time that you sat down and thought about the nature of the entire universe and then described it mathematically? Oh, I think last Tuesday. Hello and welcome to Science Brunch. I'm May Prince and I'm here with Katie McKissick, also known as Beatrice the Biologist. Is that who I am? Yes. All right. And today we are talking about what? Emmy Nurter. <laughs> Oh. Sorry. Emmy Nother, Noter, Nurter. I'm so, I don't speak German. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know who that is. So Truly, you guys, I looked up how to pronounce her name and found many different ways to pronounce it and I read that almost all of them are wrong, so I don't know. <laughs> Someone help me out. <laughs> Someone who knew her firsthand, please email me. Someone someone tweeted us the pronunciation of this woman's name. N O E T H E R. Yeah. So we'll figure that out. We'll, we'll learn everything Noter. else about her Noter. except for the pronunciation of her name. Noter. But her name is Emmy, and we're going to be talking about her. But we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Everybody just, like, be patient, okay? Just calm <laughs> calm down. Yeah. Because we have stuff to do before then. First, I got to tell you about this thing. Yes, you do. This awesome thing that happened. Oh, my God. So yeah. excited. Because I know what you're going to say. <laughs> so Katie was so excited about this story. Um, they found some dinosaur vertebrae. You guys! In... Amber. Yeah. For the first time. So cool. So handle it. (laughs) The cool thing about this story is that this Chinese paleontologist was walking around. He apparently like he frequents these um these amber markets where he looks for different specimens. And he like on the regular does this because he finds all sorts of plant matter and you know stuff that was encased from millions of years ago. In case you don't know, amber is pine resin that has hardened and basically become like a tiny rock but it's clear so you can see what's trapped in it kind of cool. really cool i used to have a slight obsession with amber jewelry yeah i had amber with little seeds in it and all well, yeah it preserves like organic matter from it's millions and millions so of years ago convenient for us yeah it's that so it just convenient. turns into this hard these little time capsules yeah thank you yeah so he goes to this market and you know i guess he has like regular people he hits up for new stuff and this guy's like, oh, yeah, I've got this piece with a plant in it. He's like, all right, cool. I'll look at it. And it's about the size, I think, of a pencil eraser. And so he looks at it and he realizes this is not a plant. This is a tail from a tiny dinosaur. That's no plant. That has feathers on it. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder what his face looked like when you realized that this guy had <laughs> basically the find of the decade, yeah. just chilling on a I mean, shelf or I something. Hope he had no tried idea. to play it cool. I hope he was like, okay, three dollars. <laughs> but also, I feel so bad for this guy. Does I he know. know that he had something that you know? I don't was know. Worth a I, lot I and... hope. I hope he actually paid more than three dollars for it because that would be so unjust. So the significance. He's like, this is just a total piece of crap. Yeah. I, I'm just going to take this off your hands. So the significance of this find is that it it basically is the first I think uh, bones of a dinosaur preserved in amber, and so presumably it holds some DNA. It encases all of the feathers in the way and preserves them because all the feathers would have decomposed by now, but here they're preserved. And scientists can look at it and see what the similarities are from feathers now in birds and feathers on dinosaurs 99 million years ago. I can't <laughs> deal with this. It's so cool. Yeah. So this this dinosaur is like uh, related to, I think they said, between the Tyrannosaurus and the Velociraptor. But I think it's about it was about the size of an ostrich. When it's full grown. When this it's one full was grown. Not, this right. exact one, yeah. So this one was a baby it's dinosaur. A 
And it was about the size of a sparrow, which is like, if you just, if, next time you see a sparrow, just imagine it's a tiny dinosaur running around. It's amazing. Which it sort of is. Yeah, exactly. And so it fell into some resin, either already dead or just got trapped because it's so small and light. Yeah, had a bad day. Yeah, you know, had a bad day. A long time ago. And then was preserved for 99 million years until this guy found it in an amber market. And now it's going to reveal all sorts of different secrets about dinosaurs and how birds evolved and feathers evolved and what feathers are for. And like these were feathers that could not be used for flight. Yeah. So they're thinking it was for warmth or right. for, you know, coloration to yeah. attract mates, for instance, which birds do so now, of course. It's like kind of furry. So this lends to the whole question of were they cold blooded? Were they warm blooded? And also what they used feathers for like were they flashy or were they camouflage they were saying that this kind of um feather structure is reminiscent of hummingbird feathers which as you know are very like iridescent and flashy so they think that maybe dinosaurs were fancier than we thought they were they were snazzy dressers yeah mm. so 99 million years ago they were like out on the town with their snazzy feathers i have a related Slightly related thing to share about baby animals. Do tell. And Bob Ross. Well, I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think, did you hear that, you know, the old Bob Ross painting shows are on Netflix and you can watch them? Yes, and I have indeed watched some of them at the end of Very Bad Days, so right, go on. Right, because, yeah, I, I, I heard that they were on there, but the other day I was actually sitting down and watching quite a few of them and totally zoning out, and it was amazing. <laughs> um, but um, I don't, rem I didn't remember that he so often talked about wildlife and hmm. I mean, cause obviously he likes nature. All of his stuff is nature landscape. So he shares stories and they're terrible and horrifying. <laughs> so I just wanted to talk about this with you because, Oh my God. For instance, he one time is talking about how as a kid, he mm -hmm. would climb trees when he would see a bird nest uh -huh. and just take one of the baby birds, What? which is not a nice thing to do. That's, That's called cool. kidnapping. <laughs> Bird napping. So, yeah, so he would take it and he would go home with it and say, oh, mom, I, I found him in the middle of the road and oh, can we keep him? And nice. I, yeah. And he was, you know, sharing this story. He's like, oh, you know, it, I would, I would say, oh yeah, I found it in the street. My mom would, my mom probably knew that I, that it, that was not the case, but she would say, okay, we'll keep it. So he'd raise the baby bird at home and, you know, get worms for it to eat. I don't know if he would chew them up himself or what, you know, <laughs> But yeah, so he would, so he would, you know, just take baby birds and re and raise them and then let them go. And I'm like, I don't think any of those made it, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and on one of the shows, he had a bunch of squirrels. He was holding squirrels. I'm like, where'd you get the squirrels, Bob? This is actually not that surprising. <laughs> and then, and then the last it. one, the, the, it wasn't in the studio, but there was this footage of him that they cut to where he was uh, hanging out with a with a fawn, a baby deer. Uh -huh. And he was like, oh, yeah, this fawn was all by itself. It was orphaned. Oh, and no. so we we took him in or, you know, someone did. He was, I don't know who, who was taking care of it, but he was hanging out with his fawn and just talking about how great it was. And I was like, the fawn was probably fine. <laughs> you just yeah. you, you kidnapped the fawn. Just too. a reminder leave fawns alone like yeah. their moms leave them in the middle of a field because they're very well camouflaged and they and then wander they off get and eat food. yeah because the fawn can't back. keep up yet so yeah. they, they just have to hang out so that poor mama deer came back and was like i know Where 
I put him? Where'd my baby somewhere? go? Yeah. Ugh. So yeah, he's like all these baby animals that are being kidnapped oh by God. Bob Ross. I can just imagine like there's like within the animal community, there's this crime investigation going on. They're like, no, it's a string of kidnappings. <laughs> there's a wanted poster with his happy face on it. With his big hair. Wanted. Like... Man who likes painting happy yeah. trees. Is I imagine him as a child. He still had like very curly, like little fro. It's yeah. a naturalist nightmare. Yeah. It really is. Oh my God. Well, oh, Bob. <laughs> it was like that, that those people that found a baby bison, and they were like, oh, no, the mom must have forgotten about her baby. And they put it in their car. They, what? like, loaded this bison into the back of their big SUV and then, you know, took it to a ranger station. And they were like, no, what have you done? You should have just left it alone. And oh they, they tried to reintroduce it to the mom, but it smelled like them. So the mom was like, oh, no, thanks. People. It's like... Just leave nature uh, alone. No. <laughs> Unless you hit the thing with your car, you cannot be sure why well, it is there. Unless the mom is seriously dead next to it. Right. Like, conf- if you can confirm it is in fact an orphan. <laughs> Assume others know best. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my God. Man. Anyway. Can you imagine if we did that? If we just like went to a playground and we're like, oh, here's a kid. Oh, he no, looks like he's alone. alone. I guess he's mine now. <laughs> Actually, true. One time I'll I did find orphanage. a semi-lost child. <laughs> I, I have found some yeah. of my lost children was, as well. I was at a clothing store and there was this little girl and there was no one in sight. And, yep. I was, and she was looking around and I said, hey, are you are you lost? And she looked at me and she just nodded with these wide eyes. She was like, yeah. I'm like, hey, let's go find your mom. So I kind of extended my hand and she just grabbed onto it. Yeah. And I eventually found her mom way far away, like in the back of this enormous store in the fitting room. And I was like, you know that there are crazy people. <laughs> Yeah. That would love to just snatch this little three-year-old and you would never see her again. <laughs> I found like a five-year-old girl wandering around the streets. Uh, I was on a, a trip to Germany and she was just wandering through the crowd crying and Aww. no one else was helping her. And so I like went up to her and I was like, please speak English. please." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she did not, <laughs> but we still were able to find her parents. But yeah, yeah, just, yeah, don't, yeah. don't steal things no. that aren't yours. Don't, just leave them. Don't do that. Nature knows better usually. So... Ugh. Wait, so where was that kid? Germany. Speaking of Germany. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> that was smooth. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can edit all this part out. Just like yeah. smooth segue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so our our guest today, uh-huh. uh, Amelia Emmy Nutter. <laughs> uh, she's, she's from Bavaria. Okay. Which is in Germany. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, so it's, you know, Munich is in Bavaria, that that sort of area, where all the Lederhosen are. Oh, yes. Yes. So yes. she probably... Now I'm familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so she was born there, 1882. So here we go. Okay. 1882. Oh, Lord, here we go. Oh, so, God. <laughs> so her father was a mathematician uh-huh. at the University of Erlangen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can we just take a moment to apologize to our German listeners? Yeah, I'm sorry, you guys. Um, uh, this is, I was going to say fun fact, but it's not a fun fact. It's mm. an interesting fact. Uh, he got polio because this is before our other guest, ding, Jonas ding, Salk, ding. helped out. So he got yeah. polio when he was a kid, when he was 14. Mm. So he was uh, had limited mobility on one side. He yeah, was temporarily paralyzed and gained some mobility back. But anyway, so that, that's her dad, Max. Uh, she was named after her mom, Ida Amelia Kaufman. So mm-hmm. we have so we have Amelia Emmy went by Emmy. So from here on, I will call her Emmy. All right. Our awesome girl, Emmy. So 
she, when she was growing up, she was, you know, really friendly. Everybody, you know, well-liked. She was really good at brain teasers. Hmm. So it's like a little hint. It's like, she's, she's pretty smart. <laughs> pretty smart kid. She had a lisp. They, uh-huh. they had a lisp. And um, she, you know, did all the things that girls at the time were supposed to do. So she, you know, learned how to cook and clean and play the piano and all that sort of stuff. Hmm. Was not a huge fan. She did like to dance. <laughs> but... <laughs> But, um, and so her career, the first iteration of her career plan was to be a teacher um, of English and French. Okay. Good at languages. Uh, however, uh, the last second, she was like, nah, I'm going to do math. <laughs> <laughs> math sounds like more fun. So she went to uh, the university where her dad taught. Hmm. But at the time, you know, they weren't like huge fans of the ladies going to university, right. you know. Some of them still are Probably especially going to the university to take math classes. So she had to, she couldn't just register for the classes. She had to audit them. Right. And even on top of that, she had to get permission from each individual professor to audit their class. Awesome. So it was super fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so there was only one other woman at the university, which there were about a thousand students and there's these two ladies. I hope they were really good friends, <laughs> but I don't know for sure. <laughs> what if they hated each other? That would just be miserable. Yeah. So um, she also, getting kind of sick of the asking permission from every professor sort of deal, she also took some classes at the U- University of um, Göttingen. Okay. Göttingen. Um but then uh, the University of Erlangen actually made it allowed for women to, to actually register in the courses. So hmm. she went back and she enrolled and she eventually got her PhD in math. Uh, her thesis was on complete systems of invariance for ternary biquatic, biquatic, biquadratic, you guys, not underwater, <laughs> biquadratic forms. And it sounds pretty cool. She later described this work as total crap. <laughs> I really like this lady, just so you know. I feel the same way about my college thesis. She looks back at it. She's like, man, this is just pathetic. Um, So she stayed there and taught some classes for a few years, unpaid because... Why would you pay them? Yeah. Well, we have the same philosophy now (laughs) for adjunct professors. Sorry, guys. A little bit, a little bit. Um, But uh, yeah, so she was... Technically not allowed to teach. Somehow she was. She would sometimes substitute for her dad's classes that mm-hmm. he when he was you know sick or anything. Uh, it's just so yeah. So she did that for a few years. But then this very prominent mathematician Dave Hilbert, um, back at the University of Göttingen, where she had taken some classes, invited her to come join him in 1916 and you know be part of the math faculty. Hmm. And yeah pretty cool yeah all the professors were not so enthused of course not because <laughs> why would they be um so this is 1916 mm-hmm. and one of the pro- professors uh their complaint was what will our soldiers think when they return to the university and find that they're required to learn at the feet of a woman scandal a woman <laughs> with complete with lady bits and everything oh my god the um, lady bits yeah and so uh hilbert was just didn't understand this point of view. It sounds pretty, like a pretty cool guy. He said, I do not see that the sex of a candidate is an argument against her admission. After all, we are a university, not a bathhouse. <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty convincing argument. Seriously. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, are we teaching in the nude? Do we, does it really matter? <laughs> anyway, um, so 19, that was 1916. Two years later, she published a theorem that mm. is now called, you know, Noether's Theorem. And she was like 36 at this point. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's pretty, pretty awesome. I just, being a mathematician, like, wow. I know. I loved math, but it just, 
I just, it's something I don't even think these days about what a mathematician is doing when they're researching. But at the time, she published this theorem that sort of clarified just the nature of the universe, like to not put it too lightly. It's kind of insane. So not crap. (laughs) Not exactly. (laughs) I mean, people seriously compare it to the the Pythagorean theorem in that it's so foundational to our understanding of the world, of the natural world. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Why don't I have a theorem named after me? I don't know. There's still time. And it was funny because while I was researching her, I was like, a theorem. I mean, I remember theorems from geometry class, Mm -hmm. things you can prove. But it's like, what is a theorem? It's basically a very concise and mathematical explanation of something that is true. You know, just it's truth distilled into this, you know, this formula or this equation or some piece that you can just pinpoint. Yeah. And afterwards, it might seem sort of obvious or something like the Pythagorean theorem that, you know, the squares of the two sides add up to the square of the long side of a, of right. a right triangle. It's like, yeah, okay. Well, you need the theorem because you can't test every single iteration of a triangle. But and it, so but you something... have to come up with the overall like right. philosophy Well, you have to see it. the pattern mm-hmm. and you have to say, now that we know this, I mean, you might have known it on some level, but now that someone has pointed it out and expressed it so perfectly, you can use it to solve other things right. and everything kind of falls into place. It's like a rule of nature. Yeah. And yeah. so that's kind of beautiful because someone had to notice it first. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all there. I mean, we're not... It's not that we're discovering something, it's that we're describing it very eloquently. Right. So that's what we're all trying to do. We're that's discovering what... the language. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. the, you know, the na- the language of the world is math and the, na- the language of nature is math. And so you're trying to find the tr- It's like philosophy, yeah. it's a sort of. And this is why in all sorts of alien movies, they're like, how do we communicate with the aliens? Math. They always want to use math. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But anyway, so um, so her theorem, man, this took a long time for me to to, to grasp. I was like, in conclusion, especially when I was I was doing research uh, at night after you know I put the baby to sleep, yeah. and I'm just kind of you know I'm pretty tired. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, nope, nope, don't get it, nope. Like, need to find a different description of this. It was like it's when I was not... looking at general relativity. I'm like, oh well, my yeah, god, because it's related to relativity, and you know, I, she sent this work to Einstein because it actually related to relativity because it has that. Oh, let me just describe the nature of the universe mm-hmm. in, you know, in, the math, in mathematical terms here. But anyway, so here we go. Her theorem describes how when there's a symmetry of nature, which I'll explain in a second, mm-hmm. there's a conservation law attached to it. And then the, and the reverse. When there's a conservation law, there's a symmetry of nature. So symmetry of nature by that, because our, our definition of symmetry is, oh, yeah, it's the same on both sides. If you hold a mirror up to it, it looks the same. Right. Things that are symmetrical. But symmetry in math and physics just means that if you transform something, it remains the same. So something has um, symmetry of, um, you know, a time shift symmetry. If you can do something yesterday and today and, it, and it's the same. Mm. So that's that's a symmetry of time. A symmetry of rotation is that if you flip it upside down, it still functions the same way. Mm-hmm. And I, we can be talking about an object or a system or the whole universe. So when she was writing this theorem, basically one like a thought experiment would be, okay, the whole universe, picture the whole universe. Just close your eyes and go, yeah, okay. the whole universe. Got it. Move it an inch to the left. Mm-hmm. Is it the same? Is any, has anything changed because you moved it? Uh. Rotate it 50 degrees, 90 degrees. Is it the same? <laughs> all, those, all those sorts of things. Yeah. So, so she was basically saying, okay, if things are the same mm-hmm. over time scales, uh, then there's a conservation of energy. Because if it's the same yesterday and today, then energy has been conserved both times. If, um, if 
there's a if you move something in space Mm -hmm. so if you move something in time energy is conserved if you move something in space and it's the same then there's a conservation of momentum and if you rotate something and it's the same then there's a conservation of angular momentum so she kind of was just finding the commonalities between how you can change things and what's conserved i don't see why you had a hard time understanding (laughs) (laughs) it seems (sighs) seems like the easiest stuff well and again it's it's one of those things it's like okay so if i drop this pencil you know, from a meter off the ground mm-hmm. and it, it falls. And I did that now and I'm going to do that in five minutes and it happens again. So that there's, so that's one, one kind of conservation and that's one kind of shift. But it's like, if I, if I drop it from a higher, that's, that's not the same. Right. You know, there's a different conservation there. So it's just, it's a, yeah, it's like, what is happening? What is real? And it, and it sounds, and some of it sounds obvious. It's like, well, yeah, of course, if you drop it now and tomorrow, it'll be the same. And of course, if you dropped it from a mile in the sky, it would be a different scenario. But, hmm. but someone had to describe this mathematically. Yeah. I mean, that is what a theorem is, is taking something that you may have sort of noticed. Like someone could look at all these right triangles and say, yeah, there, I see that there's something the same about them. But it was Pythagoras who said, I will exactly calculate what is the same from right triangle to right triangle and how they're all related. Wow. So, yeah, it's weird. I mean, it kind of reminds me of Yvonne Brill when she was saying that her invention, which is the, you know, the hydrazine resistor jet, mm-hmm. she, how she later said, it was so simple. I yeah. feel really lucky that I was the first one to figure it out or, you know, or invented and patented and stuff. It's like, yeah, it seems simple, simple in retrospect. You. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, you took something that it seems obvious now, but things that are beautifully elegant are really that's not easy yeah <laughs> so um so she very elegantly explained the nature of just the whole universe so, no big whatever so yeah so i mean basically all of modern physics uses this i mean wow. it's something it's something that you can use when you're talking about a completely new like gravity like gravitational waves mm-hmm. in einstein's case or if they're talking about you know subatomic particles these yeah. laws work or this, so this theorem was, works this was in 1918 that she came out yes. with this theorem so that was like just a couple years after einstein's uh theory of relativity exactly and wow. that and this helped some people grasp relativity hmm. because there, some people when they were trying to understand relativity say i doesn't it doesn't sound like energy is conserved it sounds like you're creating energy how does this if gravitational waves have gravity themselves where is it coming from? It sounds like you're creating something from nothing, and that doesn't jive right. in physics. You can't have something from nothing. But her work, but her theorem kind of made it clearer to people. So she sent it to Einstein, and he said, <clears throat> Yesterday I received from Miss Noether a very interesting paper on invariance. I'm impressed that such things can be understood in such a general way. The old guard at Gotting- Gottingen should take some lessons from Miss Noether. She seems to know her stuff endorsement from albert einstein check not too shabby move along (laughs) anyway so she got a teaching position right after this in 1919 and they give her a teeny tiny bit of money oh my god (laughs) because before that she was she was teaching but she would actually have to teach under hilbert's name so the class would be listed as his class and she would just be teaching it like just a little yeah (laughs) switcheroo just kidding it's my class (laughs) we just can't put my name on anything Um, but it sounds like her classes were a total hoot because she would not teach from notes. She didn't have some kind of like lesson plan about math. Hmm. I mean, think about your math classes, you know, in high school or something, not that this is high yeah. school math, but highly regimented. Yeah. It's just like, okay, here we go. Here's how we do this. Here's how this is defined. Let's do a couple of practice hmm. problems. No, her classes were totally <laughs> conversational, kind of like a philosophy class and you know, everybody, everybody's adding to it and she's talking really fast. She's a really quick talker. I like this lady. In and- German. <laughs> 
<laughs> in German. And so she's, and so people that would just like visit the class would come in and go, what is happening? <laughs> what? How? Like <laughs> crawl out of the class after it's done. Like yeah. army crawl. So yeah, so, 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 her, so her students that, you know, were in on what was going on loved it and it was great. I mean, so mm. I'm sure some of them didn't that were like, can you just give me the study guide? I don't understand what's <laughs> happening anymore. Um, or just tell me what the right answer is. Yeah. But she wanted to talk about the nature of math and the nature of the universe. And it just, man, I just love when people are that excited about something. Yeah. Dude, I want to take that class. I have no idea what's going on, but it'd be so cool. Well, when we finally figure out time travel, that's what we'll do. Yeah. And maybe she could, maybe if she's still around, she'd be doing that for us. Come on. Anyway, but um, she also developed, and this was another thing where I was researching, like, what is this? She developed the kind of the foundation of what is now called abstract or modern algebra, Mm -hmm. not to be confused with the algebra that we all took in school, which is basically like linear algebra. Ancient algebra. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because I... Old school algebra. Yeah, I was reading that she, you know, her work is the foundation, not that she invented it, but that her work is kind of the background of of, um, modern algebra. And I'm like, Mm. wait, we didn't have algebra before this? I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure we did. (laughs) What's happening? Um, But yeah, abstract algebra, also called modern algebra, is basically like... Our algebra is where you're trying to find, you know, one unknown and you're, you know, mm-hmm. you're graphing things so that you can find like, oh, when X is this, what is Y or you right. know, what is this? Abstract algebra is like that in the sense that you're kind of honing in on truths or solving for whole sets of numbers okay. rather than just one number. That's kind of the simplest way I can find to, to explain it. So you're dealing with groups of numbers hmm. um, at all at the same time and good lord it's so complicated (laughs) um but it's really useful for computer science for instance because you're dealing with so much so much information and it's it's very i mean just like the name it's very abstract Mm -hmm. we're used to very concrete algebra where it's like yeah three plus two x equals 11 like you know whatever yeah but anyway um so uh, her so she she has her theorem, but there's she developed a whole set of other things that also bear bear her name like no no theory and rings, no through groups, no through equations, no through modules. I mean, she did hmm. so much math. It's just <laughs> she um, did all of the math. There's so much math, you guys. <laughs> and it was it was so interesting researching her because I was thinking back to again, it's not the same thing, but you know, algebra algebra class and geometry mm-hmm. class and. And it's so funny. I mean, I I liked math in school. I liked that there was always a right answer that was very appealing to me at the time when it's yeah. like nothing made sense, you know, especially when you're like in middle school and life is terrible. It's like, <laughs> hey, at least I can solve this equation and I know it's right. I know what at X least, is. At least there's that. Um, but man, I had very little idea what we were actually doing. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Even in calculus, like it wasn't until after all of that mad rush of AP yeah. calculus was done where I was like, oh, oh that's, that's why. why we use it. I mean, I mean, ge- geometry was not so much like that. Yeah. I mean, it was because it is a little more concrete. It's like, yeah, this shape and, and theorems and proofs kind of made sense, like the very logical flow. Like, well, if this is this, then that is also that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like that, too. But man, algebra, too. When you're, you know, graphing parabolas and you're finding oh, the roots and yeah. loci, I'm like... I would do all of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, the rules and at the time made sense and you'd kind of, but I guess I was just plugging and chugging. Yeah. Um, but cause yeah, if, if I looked back on that now, like if I went back to a geometry test, I probably would, would do well on it. But if I went back to an algebra two test right now, I'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah. No. Cause all of it was so in the time 
Well, I, it's I like just, doing the I, math section for the GRE. Yeah. Um, I had to, I had to brush up on all of that yeah. because there was no way that I was just going to walk into that test and yeah. know what I was talking about. And I'm sure that in Algebra Two, for instance, there were there would be the occasional you know word problem or application you know kind of summary at the end of a chapter. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, just so you know, here's what all this math is for. Right. And there'd be an example, but man, that was not at the time anything I understood or it just because it's not how you part of how you teach it yeah maybe it's different now i know that math is taught differently now maybe there's more one can sense hope. of what you're actually doing or why or who came up with but it see, or anything. i feel like the time scale for teaching and taking like especially for ap classes where there's a deadline like yeah. you have to have all the material covered by the time the people take the test it's just there's such a time crunch that there's no time to explain what it is all used for, which is such a shame. It really is. Because math is, I mean, if you really get down to it, and when I was researching this, math is so amazing and beautiful. Yeah. And it's like the closest to a religious experience I get because I'm like, oh my God, there's this order to the universe and we're discovering it all the time. And there's ways to just, ex- you know, yeah. to explain it using math. And that's, wow, like the whole universe is opening up to me. But it's like... What? <laughs> I, why yeah, they I... always work you from little picture to big picture. And I yeah. feel like it should be more the... I mean, I'm the kind of person who needs it the other way around. Before yeah. I can like get down in the weeds, I need to see yeah. where it's all going first. Yeah, just that we are kind of unearthing the truths, yeah. you know, by, by describing them with math. But yeah, that's... That was lost on me at the time. But I guess it's just, that's just the nature of, of learning things. I mean, it's like when I go back to read a novel that I yeah. read in high school, I'm like, wow, and I don't remember this being good in high school. And also, why did we read this in it. high school? I know. <laughs> it's all about I like, know. I don't know. Yeah, there were so few novels I actually enjoyed at the time. Ugh. There probably were just a handful. Tom Everything Sawyer, else. I just wanted to murder him. Oh, thought he was the worst kid. I was like, oh my God, <sighs> no wonder all the adults hate him. I was, I hated Steinbeck because I never forgave him for the red pony. That damn, <laughs> that damn book. The pony See, dies. I, I read Steinbeck and it hurt my feelings. So I was like, there is no point in never writing anything else again. <laughs> Steinbeck is the best. <laughs> Throw all the other books away. Oh, man. <sighs> I did really like Count of Monte Cristo when we read it freshman oh, year, though. God, I was yeah. like, this guy has his priorities together. Well, because middle schoolers are all about vengeance. Like, the injustice in the world. Yeah. They just want to, like, get <sighs> even. I liked Catch-22 also. I never, so <laughs> I never got through that. I never got through it. Oh, man. Well, anyway, let's get back to our friend Emmy. <laughs> Guess guess what's happening next for Emmy in the, the year 1933. Guess where we are and what's going about to happen, everybody. What is the recurring it's, character? I know. World War II. World War well, II. more specifically, Nazis. <laughs> Let's get right down to it. So um, She yeah. was in Germany. Yeah, 1933. Ah, the Third Reich was like, okay, so first let's file all the Jewish professors and then let's, all, let's file all the, all the women that were that, all the female professors. Mm. <laughs> She's both, you oh, guys. Perfect. So she got double fired. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so yeah, she gets a note that says, "On the basis of paragraph three of the Civil Service Code of seven April nineteen thirty three, I hereby withdraw you from the from your right to teach at the University of Göttingen." God. Bye. No more school for you. But yeah, I don't know. It's it was really hard reading about this, uh, given the, the the times right now. Yeah. And such prejudice, and you know. The, the students, the German Student Association was also really big about, yes, Aryan professors for Aryan students and like keep German, keep Germany German or something. It's like, oh, God, this sounds so familiar, you guys. 
I don't like it at all. It was really depressing. So sorry, we'll, we'll move along. <laughs> so uh, she moved to the U.S. Yeah. Um, and was a visiting professor at uh, Bryn Mawr College, which is in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. She lectured at Princeton as well, but she was not as big of a fan because women still couldn't go to Princeton. So she was like, yeah, I'm, I don't really feel super welcome at the men's university where, quote unquote, nothing female is admitted. Way to lose out, guys. Yeah. Come on. Um, and then uh, very unfortunately for our good friend Emmy, she died in 1935. Oh, wow. She was only 53. And she died uh, after a surgery. She, they found a tumor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they went to remove it. The tu- and it, it was weird reading about this because I guess they went in there and they were like, oh, this tumor actually looks benign. But oh, there's an ovarian cyst the size of a cantaloupe. Oh, God. So they removed that. And she died four days later, probably um, an infection following the surgery because, you know, it's the dark ages, essentially. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, in the 30s, probably, surgery probably wasn't super awesome. I mean, it's, you know, you can still die of an infection yeah. after surgery. It's not like it's... Especially after removing a tumor that oh size. Oh, my God. Her, she must have just gone into shock. Yeah. I mean, can't... Like, I read that. I was like, are you serious? Can this be true? A cantaloupe? I really hope they are exaggerating. I mean, I hope it was like an orange. I mean, I've heard of instances where those cysts are the size of I hope of it was oranges. a different fruit. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It just sounded absolutely ghastly. So, no. Yeah. How about no? But also, how about not losing any more of our amazing ladies to, you know, female-specific cancers? Can we stop? Yeah. And, and female-specific things. Like, it had to be an ovarian cyst. Come on. Could it have been some <laughs> other kind of cyst? Even our Why bodies working against us. Why? Why? Um... And of course, uh, you know, she was, when she was uh, eulogized, a lot of people talked about what an amazing mathematician she was. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of annoyed me because some, some people writing about her, you know, including Einstein, were like, yeah, she is the best female mathematician. She's just the best. And I'm like, that's like what I tell my husband. He's my favorite husband. It's like, <laughs> yeah, because she's the only one. Can you just, just say that she's the best mathematician or she's just awesome? You she's- are the best male husband i've ever had you are the greatest r.i.p i I really do say that to him you should should jot that down just in case he takes it yeah thanks (laughs) i guess (laughs) but um, emmy i know but she sounds like just the coolest person yeah when she was fired from the university for being uh jewish and also lady lady. (laughs) For being a Jewish lady, um, she still kind of held class sort of illegally at coffee shops or just, you know, just not on the university and mm-hmm. or at her apartment. And and one of her students uh, supposedly showed up actually in a Nazi uniform. Oh, my God. And she just laughed about it. She was like, ah, look at you. <laughs> oh nice my, Oh, my God. <laughs> She's like, let's just not let that distract us from talking about math because <sighs> that's the coolest Oh, Emmy. I guess Nazis like math, too. I don't know, dude. It's just Nazis, man. I know. They're the, they're the worst. They're, they are the worst, which is why there are so many movies where they're the villain, which is why I'm really surprised that some people were, were surprised that, say, in Star Wars, that it's all about Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the First Order, you guys. It's only, like, a degree away from Third Reich. I mean, like, can we... I mean, it's so... I mean, the new Star Wars, sorry, not Rogue One. That's the mm-hmm. new Star Wars, but um, Force Awakens. In Force Awakens, I mean, 
they were so total space Nazis. I mean, in the original Star Wars, is they it was very is very Nazi-ish, of yeah. course. But this one was over the top. They had the armband and everything. Well, yeah, the shape of Darth Vader's helmet. Oh, and if yeah. you look very closely well, at, his, at his face, great. It looks kind of like a tiny mustache. Oh my God, stop it! <laughs> it well, I actually didn't know that stormtroopers were a very specific, you know. Yeah. Uh, what would you call that battalion or level of soldier of Nazi soldier? I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, but they, I know they're that... actually called stormtroopers. Oh, okay. So that was that was just one for one. There you go. Like woohoo. Um, I'm like refamiliarizing myself with Nazi lingo recently, <laughs> oh, which God. is you know why? Yeah. Why are, why is this where we are now? But but, but these these neo Nazis that were upset about Star Wars, you know, not being friendly to Nazis. I'm like, have you not seen Indiana Jones? Yeah. Have you not seen Hellboy? I mean, you know, like there are. I mean, th- these are those are the favorite villains of Hollywood movies. I mean, I thought that was why we were so obsessed with World War II anyway. It's because they're the perfect villain. Right. They're right in front of you, being very open about what jerks they are, and they're just right there. <laughs> they're, it's not, they're not hiding. They're, you know, it's not... Yeah. It's not uh, they're all wearing stupid pants. Yeah, it was back in the day when villains were very clear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Should I not talk about Nazis so much? I mean, I'm going to talk about Nazis we, next we can episode, cut, we, too. We, so. can cut all, we can cut all of this out. <laughs> We don't need to talk about Nazis. Well, I mean, I had to. Because no, I think we really should. I think we should talk about Nazis because clearly, yeah, we uh, we totally lost track of that. Even though it's in every single movie ever. Yeah, somehow that message was lost. Yeah, and, and I'm serious. I think they need to rewatch some Indiana Jones. Yeah, the, you know the, the Temple of Doom. No, not I mean not Temple of Doom because that one's not as that's one not very Nazi-ish. But they should <laughs> watch Last Crusade a whole mm. bunch. And then definitely watch uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark because then you get to see all the Nazis melting. So it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And they should also watch that movie uh, Iron Sky where the Nazis are on the moon. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, so yeah. So they not so the story is that when World War II was over, the Nazis retreated to the moon hmm. and they've been on a moon base on the quote unquote dark side of the moon, the far side of the moon. Uh-huh. It's not always dark there, but you know, it's okay. Um <laughs> They're in a big swastika-shaped moon base. Of course. And they're all there, and then they're coming back. They're, you know, they're like, oh, it's a good time to go back because Sarah Palin is president. <laughs> That's actually the part of the plot. Oh, really? <laughs> and, um, and so they all come back. And the one, like, the main, one of the main characters is this woman who teaches all of the Nazi children about, about Hitler and everything. And she has totally, you know, drunk the Kool-Aid, so she thinks Hitler's a really great guy. And so when mm-hmm. she comes down, she actually meets... Uh, person that has to kind of explain that Hitler's not the the best guy and that actually he's a terrible person and everything you stand for is really terrible and you just don't know it because all you've been you've just uh-huh. been eating propaganda for your whole life so she has to, has to come around and be like oh we're we're the bad guys I didn't realize oh, okay I get it now I get it now oh, so neo Nazis need to watch that movie is. so they can go through her character arc <laughs> and go oh we're not supposed to do this. <laughs> Also, all the stuff we're doing, we're not supposed to be doing. Oh, this is evil. This yeah. is what calculus Where's is for. Where's guys? Oh, <laughs> I didn't know. Uh, that has to be soul-crushing to realize you're the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, poor Nazis. Yeah, how often do good guys, I mean, how do bad guys think they're the good guys? Because I thought that was why Nazis were are always the movie villains, because they know they know they're, they're the, bad the bad guys. guys. Exactly. You know? Exactly. They know they're evil, and they're like, yeah. yes, evil, awesome. Yeah, and they're just they're just eating up. They're like, yeah, I love yeah. being bad. They're like plankton from SpongeBob. Yeah, they're like completely evil. <laughs> it's like that. I always I always go back to this thing I love so much, where I was watching 
the voice actors from from spongebob talking about meeting kids and how uh-huh. and what the kids would say to them and these little kids would be like so excited to meet the voice of plankton and this one kid go i like plankton he's mean because <laughs> little kids are like he gets to do whatever he wants i want to the i want like, to embrace the anarchy as psychoanalysis well. with you <laughs> oh little kids oh my god um, but yeah so we're definitely going to have Emmy over for brunch because yes. she could really use a good brunch after yes. all the stuff that she's been through toward the end of her life. And we should invite Yvonne Brill too because they would have stuff to talk about their obituaries. Oh my God, yeah. They have similarly. That's a really good point. Worded obituaries. Yeah. Although many years apart. Yeah. Boo. But at least we don't know what dish Emmy really liked making. This is true. <laughs> so watch out for Nazis. <laughs> In some, <laughs> watch out for Nazis, appreciate math more. Mm-hmm. It can explain everything in the universe. Yeah, it's so beautiful, you guys. I am serious. And if... rewatch the uh, the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, educate yourself. So that's it from us today on Science Brunch. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook and go to our website, sciencebrunch.org, and send us fan mail and all those sorts of things, please. Yeah? Okay. We'll see you next time.